Good evening. Uh, my name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Evolve, our weekly webcast for consciousness and culture. I am very happy to have Nicholas Jennings with us. Nicholas, hello. Hello, Thomas. Happy to be here. Nicholas, uh, if I may, some words to introduce you to our audience. Uh, Nicholas Jennings has gained an international reputation for his transformational coaching and leadership development seminars in the corporate world as well as in the political spheres. In his first career, Nicholas was a theater director. He taught at acting at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London and directed his own theater company. He was an associate fellow at the University of Oxford Said Business School from 2010 to 15 and currently teaches the MID Business School in Lausanne. And you are also very much uh, involved in what I will call a work of cultural healing since years. You are involved in the Pocket Project, which is a global initiative for cultural healing. And this is the reason why we invited you. I just really want to uh, hear more. I, we talked already once about the, your work of cultural healing. What uh, What is this work? What motivates you? Why you, with your background, engaging in this kind of work? Good. <clears throat> well, thank you again, Thomas, and um, also for the talk we had before we started. So the more I work, and this, you know, what I'm doing now is really the, the result of 40 years or more of, of development on my part, of study, of different kinds of activism. The more I work, the more I see and understand that, <clears throat> you know, I call my work presence, that actually we live in a culture of absence. And that we have normalized that. And that's very problematic, meaning that we live in a culture of disconnection hmm. on multiple levels. And we have normalized that. So it's like it's forgotten that that's the case. So what drives me, what motivates me is to, in multiple circles and spheres, is to be an agent of, you call it healing, I would call it also awakening, um, restoration, correction in the, mm -hmm. in the deepest sense, because I believe it's more important than ever now, not just individually, but that collectively, we, it's like we've gone away. We've gone away and away and away and away from connection. And we can talk more about what I mean by that. And it's more important than ever that this is corrected. Mm -hmm. Because the further we go away from this what what we might think of as a kind of alignment with life and and alignment with the sacred. Mm -hmm. The more we move away from that, the more dangerous the world is becoming and the more dangerous our future looks. So for me it's a deep impulse that is totally the center of my life to be an agent of correction, to be an agent mm -hmm. of healing. It always was, but it got kind of deeper and deeper and clearer and clearer. Hopefully I'm a bit more mature. <laughs> but it enables me, you know, it enables me to stand in multiple types of environment 
for instance, with very senior business leaders and speak to them and connect to them in a way they can completely hear. And I think most people are very surprised to hear about the depth of work I do in the business world, but also how it's received. When I teach at the IMD, which is at least one of the world's top three business schools, typically I work with a group of 30 people for two days and I get some of the highest scores. Mm. And their world is turned upside down of the work we do, literally. It's turned upside down. And they fight a bit, which is normal, meaning because it's disturbing in a way. But I've, you know, maybe this is the result of my years of experience, but I, because there's an intellectual content, but there's also a kind of transmission of, principle and presence and this touches them they're not used to seeing this and people who work with them because one of the biggest corrections of all is we need to get out of the domination of the rational mind and that's the world they're in that's the world they are totally in and i remind them that einstein said something very simple which is we need to know whether the mind is our master or our servant and once I say things like that, it's like they recognize what I'm saying. They they get it. They get it that they're totally dominated by their mind. And then when I start talking about um, we need to reconnect with our bodies because we're totally, you know, as children, we were completely physical. The mm-hmm. world was completely physical. And then lit- we gradually... Um, turned that it's like we turned it down and down and down and down to basically most people are not feeling their bodies Mm. we go to the gym but we do stuff to our body it's nothing to do with feeling the body and then the big turnaround often the biggest turnaround of all is in the emotional world because through the suppression of emotion the judgment of emotion uh, the fear of emotion, we maintain the disconnection in, in one of the biggest ways of all. Because it's like we're saying, we discon- emotion is life energy. And when I start talking about there's no such thing as positive or negative emotion, it's like a shock at first. But once we go deeper into it and we do exercises and I give them a writing project overnight and and they come back the next one. I actually ask them to write a poem overnight, which again is shocking at first. It's like they're in shock. But they do it because I I say, and it's a poem about something that really matters to you. And I give them some guidelines and they're astonished by what happens. They come back the next morning, they go in small groups and it's always a breakthrough because suddenly the door opens. And suddenly they can speak about something from beyond the rational. And then the day two, we're in a different territory of presence. And from the beginning, I talk about meditation. I talk about mindfulness. And then as soon as I feel they're ready, we start working. We do exercise. And they get it because I know how to explain it in a way that makes sense. Why are we doing this? What's, what's the point of this? And of course, all the neuroscience and everything is very helpful because, you know, um, it's much harder to to speak against it now because the, so it's used. 
mindfulness is used in so many different forms and businesses and and um prisons hospitals schools and so on so they're you know they they're more open as well to hearing about that and so on and so forth so if i may ask you uh we are talking about cultural healing yes you are talking not, not only talking you're working with some of the top business leaders uh in our world if i may say so Uh, and you're working with people at uh, one of the top business school. And what you're talking with them is presence. Exactly. Embodiment. Exactly. How does this relate uh, to the culture and the cultural uh, healing uh, that uh, that we need? How is this personal approach where you talk with people uh, in big companies and people who will be in big companies about their capacity to be aware that uh, the mind is something that they can use, but maybe that the mind is not something just to live in. That there, uh, I guess uh, that there's uh, there are more dimension to our human reality than our mind connection to, to this. How does this connect do the cultural healing that we all need and how, how do these people respond to what you're doing with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in one way, it's very simple. And actually, um, last week I had a, because when I teach there, I then have follow-up meetings online, then, which is fantastic because then I hear the answer to your question. <laughs> and um, it's very, I'm very touched when I hear um, first of all, I want to repeat that it turns their world upside down, but they take it. They really take it. And many of them, re- because I'm also teaching practices, so it's not just theory. It's not just that they have a new experience while we're together. I really, it's very important for me that they understand that there are, if they really are committed to being mm. a performing leader, because don't forget I put it all in the context mm-hmm. of being a high-performing leader. They need to really commit. They need to have a big intention, moment mm-hmm. to moment to moment to moment to moment. So as I understand it and as I hear from them, if they're really committed to work with the kind of presence that I bring to them, they become walking cultural healers because they start Well, because they start to create cultures where people listen more and connect more to each other and get freer of this tyranny of the rational mind. They, mm. and they, I hear that they're doing that and it's amazing to hear. Mm. And the same is true in the one to one work I do. I mean, I work with some very, very senior people, chief execs who are in charge of 70, 80,000 people. And little by little, the whole way they approach their work, the whole way they conduct their meetings, the whole way, of course, first of all, they conduct themselves really changes. And, you know, if they start to hold a meeting where people are allowed to express their feelings unconditionally, not just a feeling, because normally people only express what they they know their leader wants to hear. And in most cases, that's a small bandwidth. Mm-hmm. But if a senior leader becomes the walking embodiment of I'm here and I'm available, 
and I want to hear your authentic voice. And I'm not going to try and fix you. I'm not going to try and rationalize. I just want to connect, and I want us all to connect. I hear from this one or two of the most senior people I'm coaching, the results are astonishing. They start to have a culture that is more connected. And and I think Mm -hmm. the word connection is very important because to me, that's the essence of cultural healing, Mm -hmm. is, is healing this disconnect healing this absence. I mean, another of the very senior people I'm coaching, she's near the top of the world's biggest pharma company. And she is going through a profound waking up. And she's, she, this is one-to-one, but she starts to know, she tells me, Nicholas, I can see that people are not listening to each other. She was at a meeting of the top team and she was like, it's like she woke up because she was in that before. Mm. But now she sees, she says, and I see all the microaggressions. I see all the not listening. Mm. But in her own team, she begins to embody something very different. To me, that's already something Mm. very important. Mm. Because leaders create culture. Yeah. Leaders create culture, and the, what they embody creates the culture. Yeah. Allow me to to ask a, a maybe counterintuitive question here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, aren't you putting these people in a very difficult position? Because uh, we are talking about people who have a lot of responsibility in how this world runs. Uh, maybe in uh, the corporate world that uh, they're leading, maybe in the, in the politics, they are deeply involved in key positions in a system world that has its, its own system necessities. So you ask them, uh, if I may use your own word, to wake up to their humanness, to their presence. And I would imagine that there's a lot of difficulty coming up. How can I be fully human and at the same time respond to the responsibilities of my role that I have to sign up that maybe are not just because I feel it, but because I am allowing to express my emotions and my whatever, they don't change necessarily. So you, you bring them uh, maybe, I'm just assuming this, in, in, in a very different, difficult conflict also of conscience because they are in power in some hand, but in, in the other hand, they also uh, they have to play a role in a system uh, where, where they get paid for a certain uh, performance that maybe is not exactly the performance uh, of, uh, that one would uh, choose, any one of us would choose, if I f- just f- freely choose my humanity, if I would say so. So you, aren't you creating a huge conflict for these people how they can be uh, present and fulfill also their responsibilities towards uh, the companies, the system, uh, uh, basically the place where, where, where they have their responsibilities. Is this something that uh, uh, makes sense for you or is it kind of a, uh, a question that in, in, in the end comes from uh, not seeing how this really works? <laughs> I can understand the, the, your question, and it's a complex question. It's simple and complex. Um, 
and so I have to give different types of answer because it's a, it, it has it has many mm. layers to your question. So one 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 thing that's important to understand is that in the because obviously I as much as I can I stay in touch with like the business writing the business thinking especially the cutting edge of that. And you find there that there is a lot of writing now from very senior consultants, you know, it's, it's who, who are talking about the kinds of things I talk about. So it's not like I'm a lone voice. That's one thing. So that a second thing is that there are different levels of how I present the work. So, you know, there's this business term VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's a widely used term to describe the business environment. Actually, it's the whole environment, but they use that a lot. So when I say to them, look, your rational mind cannot deal with VUCA, and you know that, and they say, yeah, we know mm-hmm. it. So even on a performance level, it's understood that the work I'm doing is going to help them be much better performers, even within a normal way of viewing the world. Mm-hmm. So that's a, another layer that's important. So it's not like I'm saying to them what I'm, what you're doing here is, is going to make you a less good leader. Actually, I'm saying exactly the opposite. It's going to make you a much better leader. And they understand that. Because leadership is about connecting. Leadership is about being able to hold a big picture. It is about presence. And that's much more widely understood now. Mm-hmm. I mean, to give you one quick example, last time I was at the IND, um, a Swiss man I, from all over the world, it happened to be a Swiss man, came up to me in one break and he said, you know, I work for a very old Swiss company. We're leaders in our field. And there is a new company who've been now two or three years, and many of us can see that they're going to be the number one very soon. Mm-hmm. And he said, our board, which is mainly elderly Swiss gentlemen, are really trying to understand what's happening here. But they're using their old thinking, and they can't understand. He said, I understand this new company are doing what we're doing here. So what I, why I say that is that this has a very concrete business perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. On a deeper level, now we have to go to, this is why there are different levels. Because on a deeper level, it's true what you say. And it's true that it does create a dilemma in some of them. But it should do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should do. This woman I quoted um, who works for the big pharma company, she knows now, and she wouldn't have known it before she started working with me, not only is she gradually on her way out Mm. by her choice, she is on her way to creating an incredible cultural healing project, and she will do it. I can't Mm. say what it is, but it's an extraordinary project. She has a big vision. Mm-hmm. And she will do that. So some people, it's true, for some people it will get to a point where they wake up enough to say this environment is too toxic. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of corporate environments are ex- deeply toxic. So it does create some dilemmas for people. Yes, it does, but it, that's how it should be. That's, but that's true for all of us, Donna. Absolutely. We're all, we're all in that. We're all in, and with those of us who, who have a commitment to, to serve, we're all in that question of where do I work? How do I best serve? How do I best contribute? What I know for me, I'll just say, sorry, I'll just say one last thing for me. Because um, <clears throat> it's also something I kind of celebrate quietly with myself is I have got to a point now and it's taken me a long, long time where I work with these, with these um, clients with zero compromise. And I'm very happy for that. Mm-hmm. I don't in any way, I talk to them about the trouble the world's in. I talk to them about um, how they need to control, how they need to feel more, how they need to care more. I talk to, I'm not in any way, I don't hide anymore at all. So mm-hmm. even though we work very much on leadership, I very much talk about the bigger context. Yeah. No, uh, that's, uh, thank you for that because that's exactly where I wanted to go also uh, with my question. This is mm-hmm. clear to that because uh, of course uh, you will uh, create dilemmas in this. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I understand uh, what you're doing by creating this dilemma is also uh, highlighting the touch point between personal healing and cultural healing. Mm-hmm. Because Because there is a there is a healing uh, uh, that uh, happens on a personal level. Uh, what you're describing, just the, the capacity to imagine, to be embodied, to be here in a way I haven't been before, and that can be very powerful. But that only can go so far because we are all, and not just the CEO of big companies. We all are part of a culture that has a certain relationship to mind that uh, that's uh, designed. So let's say uh, at least 500 years of European uh, uh, modernist enlightenment uh, 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 contextualization, how we see life, yes. in, in a way where the foundations of our thinking, uh, the foundations how we think all of it, uh, politics, economics, uh, what it means, where, where something there uh, is in itself uh, part of the dilemma how, how how we deal with Earth as a whole. So part of the uh, part of the healing has to come through my awakening, also to the pain that uh, that the existence that we have to uh, find new ways how we relate to each other, how we relate to Earth, Earth, how how we relate to nature, uh, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to spirit. But it goes much deeper than this personal dimension can do. Absolutely, and and uh, you could be quoting me in what I say to them, <laughs> because I say exactly what you said, <clears throat> and you're reminding me actually how much, how strongly I make clear that the work I'm doing with them is totally against the culture they're in. It's and they get it. Mm-hmm. The correction we're bringing is totally opposite to the way culture works. But they get it because they know in their bones that things are wrong. They're not happy people. No Mm -hmm. one can be happy living in so much stress 
80 hours a week in a culture where you're not listened to, where people abuse each other. So it's like also like like fresh water coming in. But you're absolutely right in what you just said. But I really make that clear. Mm. Yeah. This is not just a small personal work. It's much, much deeper work. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, uh, uh, how are people responding to this? Because you're talking to a, a, a very particular group of people who, um, I mean, we are all in this here. Yeah? It's not uh, us versus them in any way, but they are sitting in very uh, uh, crucial uh, um, points of, of our uh, global culture where one, uh, they are maybe more aware than many of us what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other, uh, on, on the other hand, uh, they are also personally in many ways uh, uh, getting some form of profit out, out, out of that. They have good positions, they have reputations, uh, they're, 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 pow- they're powerful people, but they are also the ones who see how, what is working and what is not working. At least they have a, they have a chance because they are at this place to, to, to see this. So to be confronted with something in, uh, in some way very simple, what you, uh, what, you, what you seem to do, basically bring them to the presence of the human existence as they are right now, whoever it is. On all levels. On all, on, on, on all levels, uh, from connected to the earth, to connected to spirits, to connected to our heart. And, and just basically bring us alive or ask them alive to this. And then, uh, I guess, also conf- confront them uh, with the necessity to respond to what you uh, wake up to. Uh, how how, how this people take responding? You think it's interesting because you're, what you're embodying, and we've mentioned this before we started, what you're embodying in the way you asked me that is exactly the stereotypes we have. It's interesting because it's like I, I get that you can't quite believe in a way that they don't. It's true when I said they fight a bit, a bit. Yeah. What I mean is we argue, we debate, but the, the honest answer, Thomas, is that they take it incredibly well. Mm. But that's, I think, you know, that, that's partly a testament to my experience and how I work with them, but they take it. They take it very, very, very well. At the IMD, you know, they have to give scores out of, I typically get like 4.8 out of five. You know, mm. it's like as high as you, there'll always be one or two in a group of 30. Mm. There'll always be one or two who can't take it. That's fine. And there, don't forget, they haven't chosen this. It's usually uh-huh. part of, uh, they're usually there for two weeks and I come in as a kind of highlight for two days. So that's already interesting. They didn't sign up for what I'm bringing, which in a way would make it more likely they would reject it. The one-to-one people I work with, they are fully signed up because first of all, in the, we often have what's called a kind of chemistry call before we even start. Mm. And that, and in that chemistry call, I make clear to them what we're going to be doing. And then they sign up and they sign up for 15, 20 hours work. So that's already um, makes it a little bit easier in some ways. Um, but I want to just tell you one beautiful example because I think that, you know, stories are very moving. Um, this happened at the IMT, I don't know, six months ago. Um, 
on the sec because we do deep body work. We do deep embodiment work. Very simple, but it it opens their connection to their mm. body. And this um Arab, I think he was from Emirates, he came to me in the break the next morning. He said, Nicholas, I have to tell you something. He's quite he was kind of big and a bit overweight. And he said, um, you know, the last months I've been I don't like my body, I'm overweight. And he said, but what you do, what we've been doing these days, he said, it's incredible because this morning I went to do my prayers. He said, you know, like the five times a day prayers. And he said, I was standing and, and I began the prayer and I had a totally new experience with my body of prayer. I was, I was so moved to hear because ultimately, Thomas, the work I'm doing is energy work. Mm-hmm. It's totally energy work. I mean, I have to talk a lot because that's the world they're in. Mm-hmm. But on the deeper level, this is energy work. And when I heard him say that, I thought, wow, something really penetrated him on much deeper than his mind. He said, I've been praying for 30 years. I had a totally new experience in my body of what this, what these positions of prayer are. Mm-hmm. Very, very beautiful. Very mm-hmm. beautiful. But the, the basic answer to your question is amazingly well. I mean, I'm astonished. I have to say I'm astonished <laughs> by the depth of conversation I start to have with one-to-one clients very quickly. I mean, very quickly. We have astonishing levels of conversation. We even talk about the fall from paradise, what that meant, and mm. how we became so separate. And I mean, I'm I, I'm quite astonished by the level of dialogue we can have. Mm. So I hope that gives you some answer. No, very, very much so. Um, one reason why why I find this so important, what you're saying, is um, because part of our audience is also very much involved in activism. Mm. And there are certain ideas how to go about activism where you see people very much in their roles mm. and uh, and relate to roles uh, and, and, and you, you see what has to be changed and, and, and how, how we kind of also have addressed all this uh, kind of system reality uh, that, we, that we're living in and that we're representing and all of that. But what you are saying and what you're saying, what you're showing with the with the examples that you're bringing, it's just a very simple fact how uh, behind every role uh, there is a human being and there is a way uh, where we, we all can connect around that. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about cultural change, cultural healing, that this is usually uh, not uh, the, uh, the opening we are talking about that we can connect, if I may say in a very sentimental way, heart to heart, soul to soul, it's just what it is. Exactly. And you usually just using this word, it sounds like cheap, yeah? But but the point, the very fact that it sounds like that mm-hmm. is part of the, uh, the walls that we have built up, mm-hmm. that, we, uh, that we don't believe that we can reach each other in, in the depth of our humanness. Right. And 
even more so that even if we reach each other, does it, that it doesn't mean anything because you, uh, you maybe you reach the other, but then he, he, he is uh, the CEO of so, so-and-so and has to do what he has to do, uh, which basically means our humanness doesn't mean too much, even if we are aware of it. And uh, just to well, see... I, I, yeah, I mean, I profoundly disagree with that. <laughs> I would say not only does it matter, it, it, it's almost the, the most important. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very, it's a whole conversation, obviously, and a very deep question about how change happens. And, <clears throat> but I would, I would say that even if you change a system, unless something changes in the level of people's heart and connection, I think that's going to have a limited impact. Mm-hmm. Whereas if people really would start to wake up more in the sense we're talking about mm-hmm. of connecting more, they can't go to sleep again. There's a certain point where they can't mm-hmm. go to sleep again. And then the systems around them are going to change in some way. Mm-hmm. But because the, the whole energetic fabric starts to open and the whole level of this, you beautifully said, heart-to-heart connection. And I hear so many stories. I could tell you so many stories of, of things I hear where change happens as a result of this. Mm-hmm. And, and people are astonished sometimes by what happens when they start to embody this work. Mm-hmm. And it is very challenging because you're, just to go back to your earlier question, when they go back into their workplace, they, 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 it's, that's where practice and commitment and intention becomes so important. Mm-hmm. Just like any of us, when we, if we go to a retreat and we get very open and we come back into the, our previous world, that's the real test. Mm-hmm. Well, what I find so healing by hearing you, uh, what, what you're saying, is uh, because it highlights that even the way we usually think and talk about cultural political change mm-hmm. is part of the paradigm. Beautiful. Wow. So yeah. uh, that, uh, we think we want to change, but the way we think about it holds the same rational mind, the same transactional, uh, uh, rationalistic relationship to reality uh, that created the reality that we are in. And what you are highlighting is that there's maybe a chance uh, to together uh, penetrate uh, these uh, layers of absence. Exactly. No, and this this really takes us into a deeper level of the conversation already because I mean I'm actually starting to write a paper with it with a professor at the IMD because we had this great conversation one lunchtime Um, I mean to put it I'll say something and then I'll try to explain what I mean because I see more and more that nothing changes so long as you're trying to change it Hmm. and I think that's exactly what you just spoke to Actually, because so long as we're seeing something out there that I try to change, that's already an old paradigm. Because the deepest change that happens in the work I do 
when we can actually say yes to what is and we can meet what is much more deeply and be present with what is, however painful it is, and stop trying to change it. Mm -hmm. Because one of the fundamental habits of disconnection is that we're constantly trying to be somewhere other than where we are. And presence means I'm willing to be here with everything that's arising in me and everything that's arising in you. And the moment I give up trying to change what's arising, a completely different door of transformation opens. This is one of the deepest principles I've learned to embody in the work I do. It's completely simple and completely radical. But when we surrender this will to change and we start saying yes to what is really here, that's when change starts to happen. And in in saying that, you, you, you're also kind of making the point that the cultural correction or healing that you're calling for is much deeper than we thought. Mm. That, but, uh, that, that what is really asked for, and it sounds very simple, kind of being, being in the presence and uh, uh, as soon as you want to change something, uh, you, you are basically part of the paradigm Already, but there's something asked for in the, in the in the depth of how we can be together, where we reach for our depth of what it can mean to be human. Exactly. That um, maybe is exactly what is asked for. It's beautiful, Thomas. And even more so, I would say that it's often it's when we touch the most wounded places where we will do everything possible to go away from is when the deepest movement can occur and when we can share those together mm. without trying to change anything. And that's, I think, oh, where it really gets difficult. Exactly. It sounds simple, but it's where yeah. it gets most difficult. Guess what, what comes to me when you're mentioning that, because you're, you're working with uh, with uh, high profile executives, but you're also working uh, in, in in cultural context uh, with, with with people with cultural trauma traumatic uh, uh, backgrounds, and it seems that you're touching exactly that the capacity uh, to uh, be there for our dramas, our personal and our cultural dramas, to really uh, just be there for them, uh, and. Uh, allow oneself to be present in the face of the very thing that really uh, wants me just to run away or whatever um, is the very thing that seems to be the core of your work. Exactly. Exactly. You, you, you put it perfectly. To give you another example, um, I'm coaching several very senior African-American leaders. And when we, it's like an archaeology because when we get to a certain point where we've already done a lot with their childhood traumas and because everyone is carrying trauma, mm -hmm. by the way, it's not like exceptional. And we've done a certain amount of work with that, but, um, we, we, we always get to a point where we touch a much deeper wounding mm -hmm. and that's the imprint of slavery. And we sit with the pain of that. 
we really sit with it and how that's really felt in their whole system. And they start using very strong words about how they feel. But it's the fact that they can contact that which they could never have felt before and that there is an unconditional presence with them, me, mm -hmm. totally with them. Bring something very profound, mm. and I believe we need to have mass events with that kind of work mm. because, for real, wide-scale cultural healing, we're going to have to at some point have big cultural healing events. For instance, in mm. America, where white people and black people are mm. face what happened. Same with Jewish and German people, which we already do. It needs to be faced and not to be healed. It needs to be faced. The problem when we try to heal something is that's already often an exit. It's already trying to change something. The change happens when we're willing to be more naked with the pain or the anger or the devastation, whatever it is, or the numbness. Yeah. Naked with, I can't feel anything. Well, that's yeah. great. Let's be with that. Let's stay with that. Yeah. And I, this seems to be of tremendous importance for for what we need to do, uh, in, uh, not only personal but on a big scale cultural level for for uh, for our global society. I just had a couple of weeks ago a, a similar conversation with an, a cultural um, activist, uh, Joe Brewer, I don't know if, if, if you know his name, who talks about, he uses the term managing the global collapse. <laughs> And he used this, uh, this term uh, uh, intentionally as a provocation. And when you ask him what he means managing the global collapse, he means, first of all, learning to mourn. Uh, uh, being aware that the collapse is not happening at some point, we are already in the midst of it. And the only way to really be awake to the fact is when we learn to experience the pain. Exactly. And he said that's the, that's the most important part of the whole work. Because as long as we don't allow to go there where the, where the pain hits, we are still in avoidance of what is happening. Totally agree. And it's the most, it sounds simple, but it's the most difficult step. Of all. Yeah. Because when we really, if we really take that as a principle, we, we really see how constantly we, we move away. And how we had to. It's not that that, it's not that that was wrong. That's how we survived. Whether it's personal trauma, societal trauma, we had to numb it. Mm -hmm. We had to turn away. So this is why I call it correction. Mm -hmm. Little by little, we're correcting that turning away on multiple levels. Yeah. yeah. Because I asked you earlier in the conversation if you uh, uh, put this uh, executive not in a, in a difficult position, and, and you kind of also said that uh, you bring them partly uh, to a dilemma. But the point is, it's not only true for them, it's true for all of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's 
the, to be present what you're asking us for, uh, of course, it means also being present to the unbelievable uh, miracle of life and, and, and being here and the beauty and the divineness and the sacredness. But uh, you, there is no way uh, to touch that without being aware also of the trauma. Uh, uh, everything that is uh, um, in pain uh, because of uh, our karma, however you want to call it, uh, just things that need to be a part of our presence in order to be here now. Exactly. So this being here now uh, is a tremendous challenging call. Exactly. And uh, in some way, I, I wonder if you agree, there is also not so much to uh, to ask for uh, um, uh, after that because it itself will teach us. There's nothing basically we can bring to that. Uh, there's more, I, I would guess, a listening process that is needed, uh, how to respond from that. It's fantastic what you say. And, and that's, that's why I've said several times in our conversation many levels because you point to something that I think is really essential for all of us, which is that to do this kind of work, and this is why I'm also really teaching people meditation, we have to deepen our connection to higher frequencies. We have to. And groups have to do that. Like in the, in the, when we do collective trauma processes, we can't look, we can't face the darkness of the world, the pain of the world without a higher connection open. So I think you, you, what you pointed to is incredibly important. I can't do the work I do without a very, very strong spiritual practice. But it's just very powerful to hear that uh, not only you're doing this work uh, in, with people who have uh, who are in a position uh, to respond in a way uh, that other people are maybe not. Uh, we are all in a position to respond, but the position uh, uh, people who, their their response uh, has just a lot of implications because they're responsible for a lot, and it seems. Uh, that not only there is a, post, a positive response, there's a longing, as I hear you, for this kind of work. It's, it, I think that's, I think that's a perfect word. It's almost like a longing, a thirst, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, I'm working with the people I work with, but I would say, you know, 95% or more of the people I meet in the corporate world are really good people. Hmm. Let's get rid of this idea. Of course, there are terrible things happening in the whole systemic mm -hmm. fabric of corporate culture, and people like Marianne Williamson are speaking beautifully about that at the moment. Of course, that's true, but within that, a lot of very, very good human beings struggling to find their way, struggling to find their way, and they're longing for something that brings them home. And brings them into a deeper connection, a deeper integrity, a deeper morality. They're longing for that because they know somewhere that they're living in systems that have lost a lot of integrity. Uh, Nicholas, we, we also reached the, the end of our time here. 
I, I thank you very much also for the insights uh, uh, that you gave into your work. And I, I think you really also made clear how this uh, connection to our humanness in us is uh, what really creates change, cultural and personal change. And to hear that uh, you can do this work uh, in the places that you are, it's just very inspiring. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm also very touched by our conversation. Thank you. Thank you.